Welcome everyone to the CEO.Digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. David has 30 years experience as a pioneer and leader of global technology and digital strategies that transform business performance. In 2019, David was ranked ninth in the Financial Times Top 100 Bain Technology Leaders, and David also featured in 2021 in the Hot Topics Global CIO 100 list for his leadership excellence. In 2020 and 2021, David joined the Powerlist CX50 as one of the 50 customer experience influencers in the UK by Marketing Week. He was awarded the Inspirational Lead in the UK in 2020 for Services to Society, awarded by Computing and the British Computer Society. He is a non-executive director at Investec UK. He is an independent senior member at the University of Cambridge and a board trustee at the Great Ormond Street Hospital Charity. Apart from all that, he is a wonderful human being. He's married with three children and he occasionally likes to hit the ball around a field, a sport which we call golf. So David, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me and I think this is my first podcast of the year, so I'm really looking forward to it. It's a sunny day outside. It's beautiful. I hope the audience and the listeners are enjoying the sun as well. And hopefully if they're on the golf range or whatever they're doing at work, they're, they're <laughs> listening to this and um, they're getting some some snippets and some a little bit of advice, hopefully, as well. So exactly. thank you for having me. No worries. Um, hopefully we publish this podcast on a day that it is sunny so people benefit from that. So, David, let's talk a little bit about your career. Obviously, we gave a, a nice introduction to, to who you are, but good just to understand you know, your journey up until this point and any special projects that you're working on at the moment. Yeah, no, no thank you. I mean, look, I'm a 30-year financial services technology veteran. I started my career at a very young age in my teens as an apprentice engineer and sort of I worked my way up the ranks and was very fortunate. I worked for many institutions, big institutions, you know, sponsorship and mentors along the way that gave me opportunities. And, and you sort of need that in your career, right? You, you, you can't you can't do it alone. Anyone that thinks they can do it alone, trust me, you, you can't do it alone unless you're entrepreneurial and you're going to do a startup. And even then, you can't do it alone because you need backing and you need, you need customers, right? So I would say to anyone, you know, I've been around for a while, relatively well known now in terms of what I've done. And I've always earned my stripes through big transformation initiatives. That's really where I've earned my stripes. It's either pulling out new products in the market at scale, replatforming businesses in terms of back office applications, or it's in recent times M&A activity, you know, getting involved in organizations that are either looking to acquire more companies to create more market share or looking to sell their business, right? So I've been you know, very fortunate to sort of be involved in the spectrum of various transformation initiatives over the past 30 years. Great. And in terms of anything exciting that you can mention now, I know you are on the board of quite a few companies, non-exec director roles, et cetera. Is anything worth sharing from what you're doing at the moment? Yeah. I mean, I won't talk about them specifically. And I know you talked, you talked in, the, in the intro around you know, who I'm working with at this point in time. The first thing I'd say is I'm deeply privileged to 
be, have the opportunity to work with, with so many distinguished organisations. It's, it's something I, I take to heart and I welcome and I feel honoured to have the opportunity. Every institution and organisation is going through something profound right now. And you have to disrupt your market models to maintain your competitive advantage relative to your peers. And technology at the boardroom is pretty much the heart of the conversation, which is why it's great to be sitting on some of these boards. And we're all trying to figure out and unpick what is going to create more competitive advantage, what's going to create a leaner, more digital, operationally automated organisation, and what's going to allow our customers to continue to work with us, partner with us, bring back repeatable business, and ideally gain more customers from our competitors. So technology is the heart, and the themes behind that are the same, right? It's modernising your infrastructure, utilising software assets which are easily configurable to change because it's the change in the enhancement that creates competitive advantage. And it's building a capability in-house and with partners where it makes sense to allow you to perform and to create the right type of culture for the organisation. And hiring the talent we've seen in the past year, year and a half, the hotbed of technology talent and the lack of technology talent, specifically in the UK market. So we're all, we're all swimming in the same lake or pond or, or whatever you want to call it trying to demonstrate to potential candidates that we've got the right brands for them to work for, for a period of time to sort of build their career. And you have to be realistic with the new generations, right? They want to work for brands that have got a social conscience. They want to work for brands that are big on enterprise. They want to work for brands that have got something to say and something to do and something to contribute. And that's never more prevalent than what I've seen in the past couple of years. So loads going on, Craig, really enjoying it. But yeah, very much dynamic around sort of utilization of technology assets to drive business performance. And then with your, I know you sort of touched on a couple of things that I wanted to speak to you about there, you know, with your your CIO hats on, like you say, um, every organization is going through um, challenges at the moment in in terms of where do we go to now post-pandemic? I say post-pandemic, we're still in it, but it feels like we are coming out the other side. But transformation doesn't work without a proper culture. Do you have any examples of how you've gone to sort of get the right culture to to take the technology forward? Because I feel like it's more of a people issue than a, a technology issue. I'm glad you said that, right? So, you know, I've worked in organisations where the organisation thinks being digital is being paperless. But we're digital because we're paperless, right? No, you're not digital, right? The way I would describe being a digital culture is embedded and it's ingrained through the DNA of the whole organisation. Initiatives aren't owned by IT. Digital is not owned by IT. It's the job of everyone, right? The job of everyone is to look at our products and understand how we can improve our products. What steps can we change to make it leaner? In the back office, what standard operating procedures can we automate? In the front office, can we create a better user experience? Can we take advantage of better integration to provide more information to our end consumers? Right? Can we set up an environment of continuous improvement? And that's really what it's about. Digital for me is continuous improvement. Be, be agnostic mm. of technology, but create a DNA and a fabric in your culture where everyone's involved in improving the organization. However small the step is, it could come from an operator, it could come from the chief financial officer, it really doesn't matter. But get those ideas and try and figure out how do you create those ideologies, turn them into creation, into maps, into execution plans, into investments. That's when you know you've got a digital culture in the organization. 
And it's mm. got to be, the CEO's got to do it as well, right? It can't just be something you sit at the exec room, you talk about it, it's on a balanced scorecard, you do two or three initiatives and you say you're digital. You're going to get found out pretty quickly because your competitors will be, will be digital. And the organisations that do it well, it sits in the fabric of the organisation and the, beh- the behaviours of the staff and the behaviours of the leadership team express an improvement and a continuous improvement in, in the company performance and in the processes of the companies, be it internal or be it direct to consumers or whoever the customer is. Yeah. Great. Thanks, David. Just to build on something you, you spoke about, you spoke about talent. Obviously, that talent is key to that digital culture. I feel like the roles have reversed slightly where you are sort of pitching now to people to come and work for you. You've got to have the right benefits, the right flexibility. You know, you've got to have all these things, the right sort of ESG strategy. And, you know, you've got people need to buy into that. But how have you hiring and retain the right people? Do you have any words of wisdom for the um, you know, people who are building those teams now? Yeah, I mean, let's start with social mobility, right? We've seen what's happened in the past couple of years with COVID. We've put to bed and demystified the fact you don't have to be in an office five days a week. That's no longer a competitive advantage. You know, being in an interview, I'll take a step back. I was on LinkedIn this morning and I read an article from a gentleman, I won't name him. And he talked to, every Thursday, my boss asks me to come to work. They call it a connection day. But when we get to work, we don't connect. (laughs) So why am I coming to work? right? And he talks about purpose and outcome and productivity, excluding the fact he was taking him two hours to get to work anyway, right? Which he, which he no longer has to do. And I'm a big believer in you come together when there's a natural expression and a need to come together, right? We're talking now in a virtual way. I feel just as connected to you as if you were sitting in my house, right? Mm. And, we were, and we were sitting opposite each other, you know, on the kitchen table and on the sofa. So I think you have to find a, an attraction in your organisation as to why people would want to come and work for you. Because to your point, ESG is not enough. Net zero is not enough, right? Social mobility is not enough, right? It has to be about what you stand for as a company, what your brand is, what your business is, what a byproduct of what your business is, what customers say about you as a brand, right? And even if they're not saying great things about you, people will still be attracted if they feel they're on a mission and a journey that's going to improve the state of the organisation and they can be they can contribute towards that. We've seen that many, many, many times with many, many organisations. So I'm a big believer in, you're absolutely right, there is a, a pitch that needs to be made to a new generation of staff now. 100% I've seen that so many times. But I think the pitch isn't social mobility, it's not ESG, it's your brand, it's what you stand for, it's the culture, it's your people, it's what mm-hmm. you do with your people. Are they happy employees, right? Whatever happy employees mean, right? It's got to be more, and it's not remuneration. You know, if you look at the indexes now, remuneration is no longer the number one de facto. It's to your point, it's lifestyle, it's balance. You know what, I want to stop at five o'clock and and spend some time with my family. It's all changing. And, And again, that all feeds back into the digital culture because what we're also seeing with digital culture is workplace culture, right? Yeah. And actually two years ago, Individuals were saying to me, I love working from home, David. I love working from home because I can take my kids to school in the morning. I can work. I can pick them up and then I can work through the evening. And I turned around and I said, that's the wrong culture. (laughs) Yes. Right? Because I'm really happy you're taking your kids to school in the morning and I'm really happy you're picking them up. I can see a spring in your step. 
when we have our one-on-ones, our first 10 minutes is it's centered around your life and the mm. happiness I can see, your, you know, the vibrancy of your life. But then I then start to decline somewhat when I hear you're logging in at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. I don't want you logging in at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. If you've done your work, don't feel guilty that you've done your work. It's done. Yeah. The objectives you set yourself for the day, you've hit those objectives. Now go and have an evening with your family. That's just as important than feeling you've got to go the extra mile and do several more hours, right? Because I'll, I'll have a happier employee at the end of it. So I think there's got to be a state here where companies need to express virtualization of its core corporate assets, social mobility, but more importantly, we don't expect you because you've got this new vehicle of working. We're not expecting you to all of a sudden work an extra five, six hours a day because you've lost your two hour commute to work. I think that's going to be the attraction that a new generation will expect from an employer, not a, well, we've set you up with technology assets. That means you can work longer hours at home. That's not the yeah. No, exactly. So I see your, your dog agrees with that as well. Um, yeah, I'm throwing them bones. My wife's just taking them out of the garden. <laughs> so that's all part of the fun of, of, of podcasts. And, and exactly. Exactly. Adds a little bit of personality. So let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk to you about diversity and, and inclusion. You are a champion of it. And I want to know, you know, there's a couple of questions I have around it. But first of all, what role does diversity play in innovation and technology? I don't understand how you can multi-sector every discipline. I don't understand how you can innovate if you don't have great ideas. Great, great ideas come from experience, cultures, geographical experiences, the DNA of your upbringing, mm. how you were taught how you think, how you socialize, who you interact with. All of these things, how you partner with other people from different cultures, how cultures clash, all of these things build an embryonic way of thinking, of solving problems, of creating new ideas. And every organization I've worked at, I've always pushed for diversity. Mm. You know, I'm an ally for female diversity. I'm an ally for ethnicity. And I'm unashamed to say that. But maybe 15, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been so vocal about it. Right? And we, we all saw what, what happened with George Floyd. We all saw what's, what's been pushing with gender pay and closing the gender gap. And we've all seen what's been happening with executives in roles who aren't being given their, right, their rightful opportunities. Mm. And I sort of feel that time is gone. That climate's changed, right? That yeah. train's passed. We, we need to move past this. And we sh- it should be the norm now. It should really be the norm. And I'd definitely like to think for the generations to come, they're not challenged and restricted in, this, in the same way that at least my generation was, right? Male and female and ethnicity. It's a good point. You know, I'm a big champion for it. I, I do ask every organisation I work at, what's your metrics? Tell me about, you know, your balance of male to female in executive roles. Then let's look at the ethnicity balance. And I don't do that to shame anyone. I do that just to make sure it's something which, you know, the board the executive team are really conscious and thinking about and it mm. flows through the organization. I think at some point it would be nice if it's not a program. Yeah. And I sort of, to have a specialist program to do this, I get why we're doing it. We have to have that right now. We've had it for like 25, 30 years, right? Since I've been in employment, but it'll be good to get to a point where it's no longer a program. It's just what happens as part of business, right? Yeah. You get five CVs for a job. You're guaranteed three are going to be diverse and ethnic just becomes the norm rather than turning around to a search firm and saying oh by the way if you're going to give me 10 cvs 
please make sure 50% of them are diverse and ethnic. So these are the cultural changes we need to see made in society. And it is society. It's not just about employment. It's society. And I think if we can educate, 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 reinforce messages and keep on doing that through all sectors, through all parts of, of life, I think it will over time become the norm. But we can't lapse. And my yeah. biggest concern was with the energy we had for Black Lives Matter. Mm. How do you keep that energy? How do you ensure it doesn't just stop and fizzle out? So these types of podcasts, initiatives within corporate environments are really important. I'm attending one actually in a, in next week where another big consultancy have invited me to a panel to talk about this very topic, which I'm happy to, okay. to do. And I think we need to keep on doing that and educating people and making it less taboo, Craig, right? We don't, yeah. you know, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. Right, talking about a black man, a black woman. I don't want people to I want, be comfortable, right? Why aren't there enough black executives in the FTSE 100, right? I've just come out of the FTSE 100. I think I was one of maybe 20, if you're lucky, executives that were black, right? So we need to find out and get to the bottom of these issues. And I know one bank, a female CEO, has pulled a report together. I won't name them because it's not fair. Talking about gender balance, Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, if anyone's listening, I would love to sponsor a report or get involved in a report for ethnicity as well and just understand how do we do a better job of improving executives in senior roles of people of colour. Yeah. And how, you mentioned an ally there um, a couple of times. How how does one become an ally? What does a true ally look like? Well, I think it starts with, it's talking about it, talking about the problem. Mm-hmm. It's finding communities and committees where you can contribute, right? Be action orientated if you can. Yeah. It's mentoring young executives or young managers or individual contributors who, who want to aspire to more senior roles, help them, help shape their thinking, help them with understanding where to get, how to push for opportunities. For me personally, being an ally is I, I'm involved in committees. I do mentoring. I have people reach out to me on LinkedIn just for one-off conversations. I join judging panels for female-orientated tech awards, and I love doing that. And, and I think, you know, that's being an ally, and it's, it's, it's surrounding yourself with strong, powerful female executives and, and strong, powerful women in general who you want to support in their careers or individuals who are already, you know, at the top table, and you align and ally with them for other opportunities for other individuals. And I'm very fortunate I've got many powerful women in my life and, and I look to them to lead and I try to ally and follow as best I can. Craig, uh, it is useful because you wonder if people say they're allies, if what level of how much are they supporting you know, women within the organisation? So it's just good to know. And, you know, it's about asking those the right questions. I've done, you know, we've gone through various training. We've run, we run a small business here and it's just about, like you say, educate, educate, educate. And once you do, you're like, oh, wow, I never thought about it like that or I didn't know the way I said something could impact someone in such a negative way. So it's just constantly challenging yourself as well about what you think you know, the words you use. And, yeah, it's it's all, it's very interesting. It's, it's all changed, Craig. You're so, you're so right. And, you know, look, we, we all have biases. I've got plenty of prejudices and biases. But when you walk out of your front door, leave them at home. And you're right. Think about what you say. Take a step back. Think about how you're saying it. Don't, you know, the words I use, don't make someone feel an alien, right? Even even down to 
religious beliefs wrong. Yeah. When you build teams, everyone's got different religious beliefs. And don't be scared to ask that question, you know, do you have religious is there specific days that might not be a UK bank holiday that you want to take off and spend at wherever that, you know, that that, that vehicle is that you have to go, you have to go to be cognizant of that, work out an arrangement between you and that individual where they don't have to take it as personal holiday. You know, maybe they swap it for a public holiday. I don't know, right? Whatever your company policies are, I don't yeah. say the wrong things on this, on this podcast, <laughs> but I, I do think celebrating people's beliefs is positive that's not negative that's educating yourself right and i can tell you you know i've worked with many different individuals of different beliefs and it was always me that had to ask that question right what do you believe in any religion and it's yes i'm i'm xxx i mean right okay i've just looked in the calendar don't you have like 16 holidays coming up through the air yes i do i normally take it as holiday day but you're not you're not doing that this time you're not doing that this time figure out what the most important ones are and just Take it off with your family and your friends and, and celebrate <laughs> yeah. and celebrate that. And you, you know what? You get a great response from that because it's always been, no one's ever told me that before. No one's ever asked even asked me that question. And if anything, people see it as taboo. I shouldn't ask that question because I might be perceived as asking the wrong question in the wrong way. Yeah. There is no wrong question. You're just educating yourself, right? And as long as you go about it in a diplomatic, respectful way, the receiver of that, of that information will be respectful back. Yeah. And then let's move on to Gen Z. They are an interesting workforce coming through. They care, obviously, they care about ESG, they care about diversity and inclusion um, and also innovation. But how can leaders go beyond just checking the box for these new generations that are coming through? And, um, you know, how do you truly embed them into your, your team and your organization? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I have plenty of thoughts on that because I'm dealing with that generation you know, quite a lot at the moment. Generation Z have two schools of thought, in my opinion. There's a disruptive nature to them, and there's going along a traditional, a traditional route. Generation Z want to have employment, but want to have flexible employment. Generation Z also want to have a side business as well. And I'm seeing a lot of, they call it a side hustle, don't they, right? Yeah. <laughs> they want to have their, this is the right terms for Generation Z, they want to have their side hustle. And I think we as employers need to understand now, you can't fight that anymore. You have to accept flexibility and you have to expect they're going to have more than one business. The amount of individuals I've looked at on, on LinkedIn that have got, I work for XXX, I'm a business analyst. And then when you look at their posts, it's all about some vegan company which they set up, or it's something else, right? And I'm like, well, hang on a minute, you're BA for a major institution, but there's no posts on your full-time job. All your posts are on your side hustle, on your side, your side business. And if you're a senior manager, the first thing you, you start to think is, is that person not working the hours that they said they were? I'm like, you know, is this side business getting in the way of their corporate life? And I think the only way you can ascertain that is by being assignment-based. If the assignments are getting done, the assignments are getting done. If yeah. the assignments are getting done to a great level of quality, you have to accept that. I think micromanaging Generation Z is the wrong thing to do. But being purposeful around what they're trying to achieve, supporting them with what they're trying to, to achieve, giving them that level of flexibility and autonomy, but also giving them a level of oversight and environment where they can make mistakes, but be supportive. I think is really important as well. And, and, and I think, you know, if, if you are having those conversations with that different generation, 
and you're getting frustrated because you want them to operate in the vehicle and the environment you operated in when you was coming for your career. You can't do that. It's not apples versus apples anymore. And you have to listen and you have to figure out what's going to work and you have to adapt your work environment to reflect that as long as they're performing. And I think Generation Z will be motivated by individuals and organisations that provide that level of flexibility. And you have to also be respectful of the fact they may only stay for two or three years. Yeah. They may only stay for two or three years. It, it could have nothing to do with the company. It yeah. could just be, I've done three years here now, I want to go and try something different. And there's no point in doing exit interviews because it's just going to tell you it's got nothing. To, it's not about another 5K. It's not about another 6K. It's just, I've done three years at this firm. I want to try that different brand over there and see what they do. I mean, it's not a, it's not a bad way to build growth throughout your career. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a great way to challenge yourself, learn, and just constantly innovate yourself, I guess. So let's talk about, we're going to move on to leadership in the sort of final, well, second to last segment of the podcast. You've had lots of leadership roles and a lot of experience as a, you know, in the C-suite, particularly CIO. We do have that level listening to this podcast, but we'll definitely have people who are aspiring to be C-level, C-suite, CIO, CTO. Are there any sort of leadership advice that you can part with? And I know it's very high level, isn't it? But <laughs> When I was a young leader, I think my mentors were all wrong. My mentors were all, because I came from a very traditional banking environment. Mm-hmm. So all I saw was senior technology leaders in pinstripe suits, middle-aged and whites, very conservative, very red brick, very standoffish. You never really got to know them. And when things went wrong, we used to bark quite a lot. So I just thought, I better buy a pinstripe suit. I'm never going to be white, so get over that. right? I was always told leaders were tall. They had to be six foot. Well, I'm five foot nine, just about, so get over that. right? <laughs> and But I could bark. I could bark when things went wrong. And I looked at these individuals and I thought, well, surely if I can be 70% of what they are, I'm going to do relatively well in my career. I was just, we're going back 25 odd years, right? You know, that was just all wrong. You know, you know, when you read some of those books back then, it just, geez, you know, whoever wrote them, please, we shouldn't be selling them on Amazon anymore, to be perfectly frank. I think leadership is about authenticity. Yeah. I think leadership is about humility. I think it's about being humble. I think it's about being respectful. I think it's about listening. It's about understanding what makes people tick, what's going to motivate them in the job. It's not about the subject matter, domain expertise and being a great SME and understanding cloud and DevOps, you know, in, in my world. That's different. I learned when I was given my first CIO role in my late 20s, leadership is a privilege. It's an honor to lead. But I also learned 80% of leadership is about people. It's about people. And if you can untap the hidden potential in people, you create a high-performing organization. But to untap the hidden performance in people, you have to get to know people, mm. which is why authenticity and being approachable. You know, Anyone listening to this podcast that knows me will always tell you I'm, I'm very approachable. You can come to have a chat with me. You can book a book time in for a coffee with me. On a Thursday when we used to sort of all be in the office, I'd always send out an email saying, well, I'm going down the pub for an hour. Does anybody want to join me? Right? I love my off-sites with my team because we connected appropriately. I love my town halls where I could connect with a broader audience. I do believe those traits become very important when you're leading. And it's not about being followed. If you're doing a great job leading, to be honest with you, the organisation sort of evolves and performs anyway. 
you should get out of the way. You know, I believe in getting out of the way of people and leashing them on the organization and being there to catch them if they to make sure they've got a safe landing when they do make mistakes. And that method of leadership has served me well for a long time. Um, I hope it will continue to serve me. And I'll continue to tweak it and adapt it because there's always a cultural element to that with wherever you join a firm, you've always got to be, be cognizant of the culture. Mm-hmm. But I've never met someone who I haven't worked with or worked for where you don't where, where you, you know where you say thank you. They don't appreciate that. And seldom do leaders even say thank you. Yeah. So I always make a point of saying thank you because I do appreciate what you do. I do appreciate your hard work. I do want to make sure you know it's not gone unnoticed. I did do that role myself 25 years ago, so I know how it feels. And I appreciate what you're doing and keep on doing it. Yeah, I can definitely confirm a few of those things that you've told me, David. You are very approachable. And setting up this podcast, you were so relaxed and <laughs> very flexible about everything. So, yeah, it's been great having you as a guest. You know, we've, we've covered some big topics, but we are now going to get to the quick fire more fun round where you know we get to to know a little bit more about the you know the real David behind all those amazing roles that you've you've been in. So yeah, I think the first one we always ask, and it's quite interesting, is do you have a guilty technology pleasure? <laughs> <laughs> a guilty technology pleasure. Well, I'm just an Apple guy. Mm-hmm. So I switched over from all these different devices many years ago. I should I don't know if I'm I don't really want to promote apple on the podcast but i I am apple imac ipads iphone apple watch i've got it all and that's probably my guilty pleasure because i do always say i'm I'm agnostic of technology so whenever i go into a new organization i don't i don't try to say what i did in the last organization is what we should do in this organization so come with a pre-conceived idea of what the 2b architecture should look like infrastructure and software but i do like apple and i do like the swiftness of portability i do like the collaboration of their technologies and i do like the fact that i've got instant access to whatever i need relatively quickly so we could be talking you could have a great app on your phone i could have that great app on my phone within 60 seconds i do like that so um no guilty guilty pleasure in terms of any specific type of technology above i do like apple products yeah I've just got this uh, Garmin watch and my favorite thing about it is, you know, when you're playing golf, it tells you where everything is and it's just part of it. And I, I can't, I played it, I used it once the other day and I loved it. So I used to have every, every type of DVR and over the years, my wife will tell you, I've had, I bought everything. I, I've been that guy. As soon as it comes out, I've got to have it. Right. But, <laughs> but as years, as years go on, you end up having to then trans transmit, whatever data you've got to another plan, and it just becomes horrible, right? It just, yeah. It's just hard work to do all of that. So I just said, you know what, I'm sticking with Apple. I know <laughs> that's a, a bit of a lock-in, but it, it works for me. And Garmin's great. I used to have a really great Garmin runner, 5-0-something okay. runner, right? My friends used to call it a cash machine on my wrists because it was so big. <laughs> you know, back in the day when you used to have these big old running oh, machines, yeah. I used to have oh, one yeah. of those. I loved it, but it was a bit of a cash machine on my wrist. And then how would your family describe what you do do they know yeah. what you do? <laughs> well, my son, there was an article in another magazine. My son, because of all the iMac and Apple products I've got, he said I was a DJ. My dad's <laughs> a DJ. My other son said, well, I must work for NASA because of all the equipment I've got in my office, right? Because I, I am Mr. Screens. Right? I do like okay. my screens and, and stuff. My friends, 
it's interesting. My friends are, we all grew up together, right? I don't have loads of friends, but I've got a very small circle of friends who have known me since I was single digits. And mm. they've seen they've seen me grow. And I think there's an element of if we go to watch the rugby down the pub because we'll have a rugby, you know, we'll have a drink or whatever. And that social collaboration, they forget what you do for a living. But actually, there's a deep level of respect and admiration for how I've developed myself over the years, right? Because I, you know, I came from a lower class environment in the UK and I've really worked hard at my personal development. Still staying true to myself. At, at my heart, I still love a you know, a, a pint and a pie, right? That's, what I, that's how I describe myself, right? But at the same time, I, you know, really worked hard at, at developing myself and, and anyone can do it. If I can do it, anyone can do it. You just have to have the want and have the support. So I think, you know, there's a, there's a level of admiration from my friends and respect because they've seen me grow over the years um, in more ways than one, but um, including my expanding belly, unfortunately. But no, my kids would describe me as a DJ or I work for NASA and my friends. <laughs> they don't really spend a lot of time. And I don't really talk to them about what I do. I keep it separate. Okay. But they know I've worked hard to attain some level of achievement for the discipline I've, I've spent 30 years working in. And then have you got any recommendations for any good books, business or non-fiction, fiction, whatever the case is, and or any good Netflix recommendations? <laughs> <laughs> which i don't know yeah, if you read or if you watch so it's up to you to yeah well look i've got three books at the moment which i'm taking on holiday with me in a couple of weeks one's a, a biography of the south african rugby captain khaleesi oh yes uh, i've got another book which was recommended to me from an article i think it was in the, the the guardian called curiosity right and the fact we've lost our ability to be curious and so i'm looking forward to reading that and then the final book is actually I, I've started to watch old black and white movies again. I've got nostalgic, Craig, right? And, and I think it's because I liken it back to when my when my parents were alive and I used to always watch sort of black and white westerns with my dad. And the old sort of cocktail dance themes, 1920s, 1930s, 40s type stuff. So I bought a book by David Niven. I don't know if you remember the name David Niven. Not many people will know David Niven on this podcast, I'm afraid. <laughs> but he was a fantastic British actor. I think he was an Oscar winner as well. He'd done loads of films. But he was an old rogue. It was back to a time in Hollywood when it was full of old rogues. And um, I'm just reading his life story, which is just, he's just an amazing individual. You know, he's okay. the sort of person that you, you would gravitate towards him in a room because he's got some amazing stories about life. And he was brought up in humble beginnings. And he sort of pushed himself through his own desire his character, his boldness to become a Hollywood star. So okay. I thought there'd be some interesting stories and, and laughter in there as well. Three all very different books, but I'm not someone that's just gonna, just gonna pick up a book and talk about you know the 15 most important le- lessons for DevOps, right? <laughs> you will not catch me reading that on a sunny beach. If I need that, I'll get my head of architecture in and he can tell me what those lessons are. I need to make sure I stay away from. But I do love to read about people's lives and things that fascinate me things that I wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards, but someone else has read it and they'd sort of recommended to me. And if I recommended them a book, they probably wouldn't read that book either, if that makes sense. So um, they're the three books I'm, I'm reading. In terms of Netflix, I've just been watching that new series on The Vegan Lady. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've seen that. I, I don't know what it's no. called, but there's a lady, there's a, there's a lady who owned a vegan outlet a restaurant. I think it was in New York. And she met up with an individual who effectively conned her 
out of her fortune uh-huh. and her staff. And he he effectively said he could create eternal life for her dog and her, right? Which sounds bizarre, but you need to watch the, I think it's a four series Netflix. Okay. Uh, I'm still watching it at the moment, <laughs> but it's it, it's happened in a very bizarre way. And whenever these things, you watch them, you look at the credits and you think to yourself, or the trailer and you think, how the hell does someone fall for that? Yeah. But then you start to watch it and you think, well, that could be plausible. Yeah. That could be plausible if you're in it. And it starts yeah. off with, I just need a $5,000 loan or a $6,000 loan. Yeah. And then it becomes a $20,000 loan before you know it. You know, this poor lady, she lost $1.7 million on this individual. So Jeez. that's quite an interesting one. And she was known by all the tabloids, right? So all the stars in Hollywood knew who she was. They'd all visit her her restaurant. So she bought this restaurant for a, a dollar and it had $2 million worth of debt. So she she completely yeah she completely turned the situation around. And then she met this wow. this individual who um who was a bit of a con. Okay, wow, I know exactly which one it is. On I think it's on the watch list. Yeah, I'll I can't remember what it's called. I wish I could remember what it's called. But uh, maybe you can at the end you can give people the credits to it if they want to watch it. Yeah, but it's exactly. relatively new. I think it's just, it's just come out anyway. So great. Well, David, thank you so much for that. It's been great getting to know you and hearing you know your insights and your words of wisdom. And I really, really appreciate you spending the you know this last thirty to forty minutes with me. And I know the guests will appreciate it too, but thank you so much for joining us. Craig, thank you for having me. Listeners and audience, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. And everyone stay safe. We've still got COVID, so please stay safe and um, look after your families. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you enjoyed that, then please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to check out the other shows that we have. Thank you very much. Thank you.